worship team for sharing a word of music with us this morning. Is my mic on okay? Okay, we're good. I'm always concerned. I'm old-fashioned. I'm not used to the high-tech with the earpiece and stuff. I'm always worried it's going to fall off. You aren't going to be able to hear me. I can't take credit for the message because I feel that God, when a person's led to speak at church, that God lays a message on his heart. And I'm always pleased when I see, it's interesting to see when, when your message that, that God laid on your heart and you work through matches right up with the, the songs that we sing in worship leading up to it. The last song we sang was that talked about salvation. And in my message today, I feel talks about our salvation. It's such a beautiful morning today after such an awful day the day before it seemed like it was never going to stop raining the flood waters kept rising people experienced a lot of, of loss with, with homes and, and property yesterday and, and we need to make sure that our prayers are with them and that, that as God's children we need to make sure that, that we keep ourselves available and ready to help those in need in any way that we can Yesterday evening, we went to Wasion and we actually saw a home that was completely flooded and surrounded by water, and there were neighbors and looked like firemen trying to get the people out of the home. But for certain, those people are experiencing some loss today, I'm sure, certainly with property in their home and, and whatever valuables they had. But, but to not forget the farmers that, that have their crops out there, that's their livelihood, that's their income. And I understand you know, they have insurance, but insurance doesn't cover all their loss. So we need to keep a lot of different people in our prayers this week. And, and like I say, be ready to, to help these people whenever we can. This morning, I'd like to share with you from 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 28. I'll give you a chance to open your Bibles and turn there with me if you'd like to join, join in reading. Now, I will give you a little bit of a discredit, there, a little, little information here before we start reading that we're going to get to a part in the Scripture where you're going to be kind of like scratching your head like, isn't that, that's not what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, but, but after we're done reading the verses here, I'll, I'll go into some explanation, and there's some, sometimes with Scripture, especially in the New Testament, there's, there's Greek, Greek words and, and Greek phrases that were used in the original manuscripts that that when it gets translated into English, it doesn't always mean the same sense. I have a, a friend from Germany, and, and sometimes we, he has phrases that don't quite match up and make sense in English. So that's what happened here. We'll have to talk about it a little bit once we get done reading the word here. But if you'd like to join me in, in, at verse 28 of chapter 2, we'll read through to chapter 3, verse 10. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at, the co at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 
All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. It's pretty difficult to talk about sin because we all do it, and we all struggle with it, and there's not one of us that have completely been able to, to stop sinning. There's not one of us. The Bible tells us the only person that ever lived that never committed a sin was, was Christ. We can do our best to try to, to not sin, but we are fallen humans from, from the time of Adam and Eve. There's, there's nothing we can do to, to stop from sinning. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today, sin. Like I say, it's not an easy topic to talk about because it cuts to the bone of our being. It, it's, it's, it's the worst of us. No one likes to talk about the worst of themselves. You know, when you're going for a job interview or something, the, the interviewer will ask you, you know, what are your best qualities? And then when they, sometimes they'll ask you, what are your worst qualities? You know, it's easy to talk about your best qualities but no one likes to talk about the negative side or the negative aspect of themselves. And here we have in 1 John chapter 3, we're told that the reason Christ came into the world was to destroy sin. Now as I look around the world today, and I'm sure it, it seemed a hundred years ago, the world seemed like it was turning against Christianity at that time too, but living in the time that we live now, it seems like Christians are, are increasingly persecuted and, and we're seen as, as a negative impact in society. You hear the, when we talk about Christian faith and, and those that try to witness to others about their faith, the words bigot, hater, and, and other awful words like that start to come out. And I don't know how anyone could relate the Word of God and the love of Christ and the work of Christ that He did on the cross to bigotry and hatred. But as Christians, we're called out to live a life where we strive to be sin-free. We know we can't be sin-free, but we strive to. And when we come across people in our lives that 
that don't know Christ, we try to point out to them that they're living a life of sin, that, that their eyes are blinded to it, but it's there. And then the negativity starts. But that, that is the time that we live in. And we have the promise from the work of Christ that there will be rewards someday and that we're going to encounter people that persecute us for our faith. We know these things are going to happen. But the main reason that Christ came into the world was to destroy sin. It's hard to imagine, but God knew back at the beginning of time, as He was forming the earth, that He foreknew what was going to happen, that mankind would fall, that sin would enter the world, that this being that we call the devil, Satan, who represents all evil and is the source of sin, that he would be present and an ever-forceful enemy to his believers. But we have to start with, what is sin? And here in, in, in 1 John, it says that sin is lawlessness. And a popular preacher, John Piper, I quote, I quote him here, he wrote down, wrote down or stated what he felt a statement about that defines sin and, and lawlessness. He says, lawlessness is living as though your own ideas are superior to God's. Can we see in, in the world that we live in and, and the people that we interact with that, that don't know Christ that, and hopefully people that, that do know Christ aren't living this way, that lawlessness is living as though your own ideas are superior to God's. I always think of the, the scripture where it says, you know, does the, the, the work of clay say back to the potter, why do you form me this way? No, that's, that's ridiculousness. We were created by God in his image, every human being. Even that man that walked into that church in South Carolina a little over a week ago and, and killed several innocent people. He was created in God's image. But he chose to let sin overtake his life. And he thought that his own ideas were superior to God's. Lawlessness says God may demand it, but I don't prefer it. How many things do you see? Maybe you experience in your own life I'm sure we all are guilty of these at times, that God demands that I do this, but right now I prefer to do this. We're all guilty of it. Lawlessness says God may promise it, but I don't want it. Lawlessness replaces God's law with my contrary desires. I become a law to myself. Lawlessness is rebellion against the right of God to make laws and govern his creatures. I always think it, that we think of ourselves so highly when we can turn back to the, the creator of the universe 
and tell him to his face that, that we know better, that I know what's better for myself, and that, that even though his word and his law says this is what's best for me, that I choose to spit back and, and, and as a child would talk back to their parents and say, I think I know better. Now these are separate from the laws of the nation and the laws of our county and state. We're talking about the laws of God. You see, the Bible, you could say, is, is a book of laws, but it's also a guidebook. It's a guidebook that, that God has given us to, to share His Word, to share with us of how He expects us to live. He gave us this because He knows what's best for us, like a parent knows what's best for their child. He knows what's best for you and me. He's given us the guide of how to live. His ways aren't always easy. His ways are not always comfortable. He calls us out to make our, put ourselves in an uncomfortable position. He calls us to face persecution. He even calls us that to be strong in our faith, even if we're threatened with the pain of death, that we're to remain strong in our faith and true to His Word because He knows what is best for us. And ultimately, law, lawlessness is the rebellion against God. You know, there's stories of the prodigal son. I'm sure every family has a, a family member that, that was rebellious to the parents or the rest of their family. And you know the pain that's associated with that. And you also know the joy of when that person comes back and returns to, to good terms. But, it, but it's so difficult for us because sin is so comfortable, isn't it? It's comfortable. Sin can be fun. You know, it, it, it bothers me that, that we, we pay so much attention to personal gratification. And, and it's not just in this country, but countries throughout the world. We pay so much attention to personal gratification. But yet, beyond the matters of faith, there are millions of people that, that die every day from diseases that are curable and preventable. There's children that go to bed hungry. There, there's people risking their lives to cross a great sea to escape persecution and, and threat of death in their homelands. Not to mention matters of faith that, that every day there are people that are dying from this life that do not know Christ as their personal Savior. They're missing the opportunity to share an eternal life with our Father, and instead they're, they're facing an eternity of eternal damnation. It just seems like our priorities are upside down in the world today. But the good news is, 
that a man named Jesus Christ lived around 2,000 years ago. And he was sent by God. He was born of God. He lived a life free of sin because he was God. He was perfect. And he came and he walked this earth for 30-some years. And he preached what, the message of God. He gave us a lot of the information that we have in the New Testament. He preached to us how to live, how to be, how to treat each, other's, each other, how to love one another, how to relate to one another, how to make yourself pleasing and acceptable before God. You see, before Christ came along, Jews had to go through, had to follow severe laws and ordinances to make sure to take certain steps to make sure that they kept themselves clean so that they would be found acceptable before God. But Christ came along and he made a different way. No more sacrificing animals, no more observing special feasts and, and not, eating certain, not eating certain foods. He said, no. Have faith in me that I am the Son of God and then he died on the cross. I remember back at Easter time, we had an event over at the ministry center. Some of you were able to attend, and, and I'm sure most of you have probably seen the movie, but about the crucifixion of Christ. And, and, and it, was, it was an awful scene, you know, watching Christ being beaten leading up to the crucifixion. The scenes from that movie are, are terrible and, and disturbing and, and gross and, and very difficult to watch. But, but, it, but it's what reality is. You see, Christ took on our sins for all of humanity of all time, for all time. He took on all that awful sin. And we know from, from reading about it, just from living from our life experiences, that sin, while it can be fun and enjoyable and pleasurable and, and maybe even seem beautiful at times, in reality, it's an ugly, ugly thing. When Christ was being beaten and, and, and the experience of being hung on the cross and suffering, and ended up dying. That whole process was an ugly, ugly thing to happen. Those were ugly events. They're difficult to watch. They're difficult to see. They're difficult to think about. But that was all the result of sin. We may think the thing, the little sins that we commit each day that they really don't matter that much. They're just little sins. But it is. They're contrary to God's plan. They're contrary to God's word. And the result of them is ugly and terrible, disgusting. But we have here in, this, in, in, in 1 John chapter 3, 
verse 6. And like I told you, I'm going to give you a little bit of information here, but in verse 6, it, it simply says that Christ enables us to stop sinning. Now, I have to clarify here because the Greek translation to English here doesn't mean that we all just stop sinning because we know that it's a sin for us to say that, for, for me or anyone else say that I don't sin is a sin in and of itself. So we can't say that. But the Greek translation over to the English means something on the way of continual improvement or a continual action. At work, we use the word continuous improvement. We're constantly working to get better at what we do. We're always trying to improve on ourselves. We're always trying to, to better our situation. It's an action. It, it, there will never be a time where we can say, okay, let's stop our continuous improvement efforts because we've gotten as good as we can get. We are the best. That will never happen. And so it is with our faith in here in 1 John 3, verse 6. We ha as Christians, John's telling us that we need to continually work in our lives to, to try to stop sinning. Even though we're never going to be able to stop sinning in this life, we have to try. The, the, the worst thing that can happen is that, that you fall and, and you fall into a sin and, and you just keep continually repeating it over and over and over and over and over again. But you see, it's like a person that becomes sick or ill. Sometimes you get sick and you don't realize it or you just you pass it off as just part of living but but Christ tells us why why go on living sick why go on living feeling bad why go on living sinning over and over and over you see through Christ we come to realize and shed light on our sins. And when he sheds light on our sins, hopefully if, if you're in the right heart with God, you'll feel conviction. And trust me, God, when he try, decides to convict your feelings, when he lays a heart of conviction on you, you will know it. And when you have a heart for God, when you're in relationship with God, you have faith that Christ died on the cross for you and that he's your personal favor, you're going to feel these convictions. And our job as Christians is to answer those convictions, right? Don't ignore them. It's like a sick person, rather than going to the doctor and seeking healing, you just go on suffering. But I say today, why go on suffering? Why go on living in agony of sin when, there, when there's a healer, when there's, there's a way through, there's something better? Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about how Christ takes away sin, how Christ deals with sin in the world. And we talk, we all, hopefully we all know that, that Christ is God from the Trinity, three in one that He is God. He's God in, in the form of man. He was born of God. 
And then at the end of his life, to complete his work, he died on the cross, taking on the sin of the world, making a way that, that we can be reconciled with God. I think the last song that we talked about, how, how we're reconciled to God through Christ. He makes things better. He repairs the relationship between you and God so that, so that we can commune with God, so that one day we can be with God. We can be in the presence of God. But just as Christ was born into the world, the new birth, he came in as a new birth, that as Christians... We, we, we can experience being born again. That's a term, a phrase that I don't think a lot of evangelicals are comfortable with anymore, but, but, it's, but it's a matter of fact. When you become a Christian, when you accept Christ as your personal Savior, you're born again. You're born again. You're born anew. You're no longer the old person that you were before. You're a new being. You experience that same birth, that same clean birth, the birth from God that, that Christ got to experience, in a sense. Years ago, many of you are too young and probably have never heard of him, but a man by the name of Doug Oldham. He was an incredible singer, a voice that would just make the hair on your neck sing when he sang Christian songs, just, just a beautiful singer. He worked for a time, you probably don't even remember, a man by the name of Jim Baker. And he had a ministry on TV called PTL Ministry or something, and, and he ended up having a lot of personal problems, and his ministry fell apart. But Doug Oldham worked with him, and he did the, took care of the music for the show that they had that was on every day during the week. He was involved in that ministry. But Doug Oldham, he had grown up in a, a Christian family. His father was a pastor. He had been churched as a child, and he was trying to raise his family as a Christian family. But you see, sin got a hold of Doug Oldham in the form of alcoholism. And alcoholism nearly destroyed that man. It nearly destroyed his family. It nearly destroyed everything that he held dear. But you see, he came to a reckoning, and Christ kept working on his heart, and finally he got through, and Mr. Oldham reacted to the conviction that Christ was laying on his heart. And he realized the sin that he was living in. And he broke down, and he asked Christ for help. And he and eventually he wrote a book about this experience, and the title of the book is I Don't Live There Anymore. I think he even wrote a song to that title. But I think all of us that have been saved can probably look back at our old selves before we were saved, before we came to know Christ, and say, you know, I used to live there, but just like Doug Oldham, I don't I don't live there anymore. I moved on to something better and greater. I remember one of the stories that, that Doug Oldham wrote in his book, and, and I know a lot of people are uh, 
don't think about or, or talk about spiritual warfare and things of that nature, but, but the devil does attack you. The devil is real, and every day he's, he's trying to break through your armor of faith and try to get you to sin. But, but I remember one of the instances that Mr. Oldham wrote in his book, that one night his daughter came in and woke him up, and he had been up drinking, and his daughter was frightened by something that, was, that had been happening in her bedroom, and, and he came to the conclusion he broke down there, and he was probably drunk at the time. But, but God got through to him at that moment. And he realized that, that his alcoholism had ushered in and, and welcomed in the devil the very dark force of the universe, everything that's contrary to God, through his alcoholism, he had welcomed the devil into his home. Into his home. Alcoholism was no longer just a crutch for him to get through life. It had become a destroying factor that was terrifying his children, that was destroying his family, it was destroying his own personal life, and he came to a reckoning right then and there. And I can, I can hear Doug Oldham saying it like he, he said in the book, because when he sings, he has a very deep, bellowing voice. And, and he said that he commanded the powers of darkness by the name of Jesus Christ, to leave my home, to leave his family. That their family was a family that followed the teachings of Jesus Christ. They were believers, and they had faith in the power of God. And that he knew from that that whatever force, whatever evil thing was in his home from that day forward was cast out. Well, I'll tell you, that, that, that was some powerful stuff. I remember reading that story, I thought, wow, that is some powerful stuff. But you know, the, the, the truth of it is, is that we all have that at our command. If you're a believer in Christ and you have faith, you have that, that power at your command. When those sins come at you, the ones that you know that hit you at your weakest will, the ones that you know have the easiest time of breaking through and controlling your actions and causing you to live contrary to God's Word, you have the power as, as a believer and as a child of God to command them to leave and to, to ask God for strength, daily strength, to face these awful temptations and to avoid these, these terrible sins. Now to conclude, I'd like to, to share this, this little illustration with you that, that John Piper, this popular minister, some of you maybe have read his books, but he gave this illustration that for, for humans, many humans that, that don't know Christ, they aren't aware that they're sinning. They aren't aware of the effects of sin. That they, aren't, they don't realize the terrible condition that it 
puts their lives in. They're blind to it. But he, but, he, but he made this illustration that if you could imagine a person in a, a pitch-dark room, you know, even at nighttime when, when there's no moon, it's quite dark, but it's not really pitch-dark. I don't know if you've ever been in a room, you know, where, there, where you close it off and no light is able to penetrate into the room. It's where it's quite dark. You can't see your hand in front of your face. But there's two beings in this room with this person, with the lights off and it's pitch-dark. One is this, this awful monster that, if given the opportunity, he will devour this, per, this innocent person. He will devour them. He will destroy everything that they hold dear. But this monster, he's, just, he's covered in this real soft fur. I don't count like a little puppy dog. He has soft fur like a puppy dog. But on the other hand, there's another being in this room that's pitched black and you can't see. There's this knight. And if you can picture a knight from medieval times, you know, he's wearing the, the solid armor, head to toe. He's covered in armor. But this knight is there to protect you. He's there to redeem you, to save you. Now, this person's in this room, and they need to choose which, which being they're going to side with here. And this is, this is how difficult it is. Because this, per, this innocent person, you know, they feel over here, and it's pitch black, and, and they're feeling this, this, this soft fur. Feels like a little puppy. And it's this evil monster but they don't realize. So they go over here and they feel and they feel this, this hard, cold metal. And they feel it and they're like, wow, that, that's, that's very uncomforting. That, that metal feels cold, it's hard. Boy, this, this soft fur sure feels nice. Sure feels appealing. And unknowingly, they choose the, the hairy monster. You see? People that, that don't know Christ, that don't know the faith that we live by, they struggle with that every day. If the lights were turned on and they could see, they would be able to distinguish good from bad. But you see, those that don't know Christ, they're living in darkness. And they can't see and every day, they're choosing that, that thing that, that feels good. It just, it just feels right. But if the lights were on, they'd be able to distinguish between right and wrong. It's our job as Christians, for those of us that know, that have faith and believe in Christ, it's our duty and our responsibility to reach these people, to help them come to know Christ so that the light can be turned on and they can see. They can see between right and wrong. The world does not live by faith. The world chooses what, what seems comfortable 
what seems pleasurable. They choose everything that's contrary to the Word of God. To conclude, if you'd like to turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through verse 24. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. My prayer for you today, for each of you, is that if you are a believer and you have faith and you feel that you have been born anew in Christ, that, that you'll take the opportunity to reach those that you come across that, that are unable because of their very nature to distinguish between wrong and right, between evil and the way of God. For those of you that that don't feel that you've been born anew and, and born again and, and you don't have a, a, a deep faith in Christ, my prayer for you today is that, that you'll seek out God's Word and that you'll seek out someone that you know that is a believer so that you can start to, to understand the will of God, that, that He wants you to be joined in union with Him. He wants you to have a faith. He has a right way of living for you, a better way, where you can put off your old self and take on a new. Let's just close in prayer here this morning. We'll have the worship team come up and, and sing for us. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that, that you've given us a promise that we no longer have to, to live in the, in the mud and the muck of life. That we don't have to live in the filth and the shame of sin. Lord, we thank you for sending your Son to, to make a way to make a way for us to be made right with you so that we can live a life that is pleasing to you, so that we can live a life that is, that is fruitful and that, that we can be good for the, the people that we love, the people that we, that we come into contact with, that we, can, that we can not harm people, that we can have a heart, we can have your heart, that we can love one another that we can share your truth with those that don't know your truth. 
Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had to come today in their house to worship you. And we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this time. We ask this all in your name. Amen.